We'd like to request your attention, some thoughts, reflections and instructions on Chitanupasana. The neatness of the Satipatthana pattern, having four channels of experience as a raw material uh, in every event that takes place, in this experience is reasonably straightforward, you know, channel one, somatic, channel two, hedonic, channel three, affective, channel four, cognitive, um, dimension of one particular experience, and obviously our possibility to establish attention in any one of those four channels. This is a useful orientation. Um, Strictly speaking, it is not Satipatthana practice proper. It is just the raw material for this Satipatthana practice. However, it, it can be said that even the distinction of these four dimensions of our experience is already part of Satipatthana practice. If you understand Satipatthana not just to be a meditation method, but actually, as I understand it to be, um, one of the models the Buddha has for experience. The model is reasonably straightforward when it comes to body. The somatic dimension of our experience is one of the mainstays for meditators learning to return to body, learning to center on the body, learning to refine bodily awareness um, as as a means to bring us back into the present moment, into the realm where we can act, where we can engage, the realm where we can enjoy, the realm where we can participate, the realm where we can um, live an embodied and compassionate life. It's also the only place where we can truly understand something and it happens to be the only place where we can be free, this present moment. So there's good reasons to be in the present moment and the body as the greatest safeguard for helping us to return to this present moment. Because we connect with that present moment as soon as we connect with the body. If you connect with a thought, you have no guarantee that what the thought tells you about is real, is present. It can be something that has happened 30 years ago It is something that may have never happened 30 years ago and you keep thinking about it. It may be something that will happen in the future, possibly. It may be something that never happens in the future, even though right now you think about it. So in the realm of emotion, in the realm of thought, in the realm of image, we have no guarantee that we are actually here where we are. In the realm of the body, we do. That's the big difference. That's why contemplative traditions always have put so much emphasis on the body. Because you never get yesterday's knee pains, you always get today's knee pains. In fact, you get knee pains of right now. You know? And you never get yesterday's or tomorrow's strawberry tastes. You just you know, get whatever you get. Taste right now. The taste of your own tongue in your mouth, which may, may be less fascinating than you would wish for. Um, maybe it compares badly with strawberries, but at least it's real. It's something you can relate to right now. 
There is an immense power to this. Because if we lose that nowness, we live in other realms. We live in perceptual realms. We live in realms of image. We live in realms possibly quite distorted, possibly quite anxious, possibly quite dreamy. Even if they are pleasant, and often they are not, we live in realms in which we are highly ineffective. Psychologically, this is not very salubrious because we are prone to anxieties. Spiritually, it's a catastrophe because we cannot transcend. We cannot transcend things that we don't actually are in touch with. You can only transcend what you actually have gone up to, touched, begin to let in, begin to understand. Transcendence means you have to arrive at what you want to transcend. The studious avoidance of it does not help you transcend at all. Or the, the blatant denial of it does not help to transcend. Or the mm, you know, strategic deflecting of that which takes place in favor of a fantasy or of a horrific memory, be that uh, a dreamy golden past or a traumatic scenario. Either way, you will never arrive at the place where transformation can take place. So that's why it is, from a spiritual point of view, a catastrophe if you're not where we are. Unfortunately, if this is the bad news, the neat model breaks down a chitta nupassana. Because chitta nupassana is intrinsically messy. Uh, what was kind of neat and clean, you know, body, feeling tone, suddenly becomes more convoluted than chitta nupassana. One of the reasons why that is the case is because chitta states are longer. They kind of move in, you know, while your pleasure or displeasure is something, is a flicker. It's relatively simply constructed. It's relatively short in duration. Yeah. You kind of walk out, you hear a bird tweet, you look at the nice tree, and it makes, ooh, nice. Yeah. And then how long does it do that? I mean, what can you do with a bird and a tree? Can you, you know, eat it, own it, take it home? Uh, okay, and you make a photograph of it. You can fall on your knees, pray to it, write a haiku. But then, you know, somehow you move on. What do you do with a flowering cherry blossom? You know, stupendously beautiful, just kind of so opulent. Sakura time. And then what do you do? You know, you stand there and you kind of let it in and you marvel at it. And life continues in some way. You can't own it. You know it's not going to be there. Even tomorrow it will not be the same. Its beauty lies precisely in its fragility. Its preciousness lies precisely in its transience. Its power lies precisely in the fact that it is, for most of the year, not there. So pleasure, this pleasure profoundly affected as we are by them, they don't last very long. They don't last. But unfortunately, mind states can last. Yeah. You can be grumpy for a long time. You can be sulking for a long time. You can be happy for quite a long time, sort of. And when trying to practice with mind states, 
It is obvious that the very mind that tries to understand its own states is the instrument by which you try to understand this mind. Yeah? So in other words, your, <coughs> your gear is already affected by the quality you actually like to understand. This is not clean empirical science. You know, this is not, these are not laboratory conditions. The mood that you're trying to understand its generation of is already affecting the organ that tries to understand this mood. So we'll need to be prepared that things don't work in a sort of straightforward and linear way. So working with mind states makes us resort to <coughs> a little bit of Dhammanupassana to start with. So if you do Chittanupasana, you also do Dhammanupasana, because if you consider the state of your mind, you will possibly resort, hopefully resort, to the Nivaranas, to the hindrances, and to the awakening fact. This is possible criteria for the state of your mind. So I speak of the litmus paper that you dunk in, saying how much, how much sati is going here, yeah? how much Dhammavijaya is going, how much piti. How much virya? How much pasati? How much samadhi? How much upeka? So that would be questions you would ask when you try to understand the con the quality, the climate of your mind. You would also ask how much sense desire is going, how much aversion is going, how much sleepiness is going, or numbness, how much restlessness is going, how much doubt. Yeah. You would actually do the litmus paper and look at the qualities of your mind in terms of the uh, hindrances, which is also a crucial um, gauge for the realm of Chitanupasana. So these are good questions to ask. You know, just in terms of hindrances, how much of the stuff is going? In terms of awakening factors, how much is going? This is an equanimous mind. This is a still mind. Is this a, a tranquil mind? Is this an energized mind? Does this mind has, have delight? Does this mind investigate? Is there curiosity at work? Investigation is an interesting one. That's one of the big, 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 crucial axes in early Buddhism. You know, you have sort of big axes of praxis, practice. One of them is energy. There's many words for energy in Pali. Many, many times the term comes to yoke yourself to something, to surrender to something, to apply yourself to something, to make much of something, to produce urgency, to uh, be earnest in your approach, to uh, vitalize yourself mentally and physically, to strive. Yeah? I know non-striving is a great virtue here in a very competitive society, but Buddhist teachings are not at all politically correct on that score. They're quite blatant about striving to be a useful thing. Yeah. They're quite blunt. Usoli, effort, is, a, is praised. Emancipatory effort is referred to in terms of uh, fighting. So the idea that 
My practice is just one of calm observation and non-interference and letting things take their course and dissipate. This is one this is one tack, yeah. This is one crucial tack and many of us need to practice this. But we, when we practice this, we, let us let us acknowledge this is only one tack. There there are many other takes. There are many other ways in. And some of these ways in are quite clear. They speak of effort. They speak of application. They speak of intervening. They're not just observant. So, energy is one big axis of recurrent encouragement in the Buddhist path. The other, even bigger axis, even more encouraged, is anything to do with examining, investigating, researching, fathoming, um, plumbing the depth of, looking into, inquiring into. This is another big. There's many, many Pali words for this. So we... Um, the first thing we do, and it be, this begins with discernment, is followed by curiosity, and then with the skill of this Yonisomanasikara thing from yesterday. Remember the image? The arm that turns or that bends the stems of the lotus? It doesn't seem to be doing very much. You know? It doesn't get the boat out, it doesn't get the stems chopped, but it prepares the object in a way so that the tool of wisdom can function more effectively. So this is a major role. Yonisomanasikara, this wise investigation, uh, is a profound way of a slight adjustment of what we have in front of us so that my resources come to better, more effective um, application. Yeah, can be applied more powerfully. So this discernment, curiosity, and then this wise attention that is capable appropriate att appropriately attending to something so that it is turned in a way that we can work with it. Yeah. If we compare that to household life, it is, you know, how you how you hold your onion so that you can peel it properly. Yeah. If you don't hold it properly, it just slips away, or your knife slips off. Or, um, how you hold the piece that you're working on in a way that you know your workbench, your hand, the angle of your body, the angle of your tool is applied. This is when you give somebody a massage, how you use your body rather than just your knuckles. Because if you're just using your knuckles, you're, you're basically dead. <laughs> yeah. In short time. Yeah? You need to use your joints in a way. You need to use your breath. You need to use the weight of your body. You need to use your posture in a way that you economize, that you maximize effectiveness and minimize strength. Otherwise, it's just very muscular, it's highly unfeeling, and it tends to be very strenuous to yourself. So this Yonisomanasikara is to know how to hold something so that what I can bring to this practice has the best possible vantage point. This is what we need to do when we do Chittanupasana. Often we need to startle the mind out of its patterns with questions. That's something that helps. So we ask questions. 
we try to orient what is actually already happening. Sometimes we pretend that meditation is something that we basically, we, all, we can start at zero. Yeah? I have this fantasy sometimes, sort of an ideal meditator, meditation teacher scenario. Nobody knows anything about meditation. Nobody does anything. And you can just start at zero and tell them, just to, uh, be kind, be your friend, attend small first and then attend big and then attend moving things and then attend big moving things and attend attend and things move through things you know this kind of i have it all mapped out yeah <laughs> problem is it doesn't work like that you guys already know an awful lot about meditation you secretly suspect that you're good at parts and are not good at other parts it's worse you screen out what i say that may confirm <laughs> what you fear, or you may just hear what you confirm, what confirms your fears, and you may not hear what actually validates your understanding, or you may the, sweetly just hear what confirms your take and uh, beautifully screen out all the rest and keep feeling validated uh, in what you already believe and already know and uh, studiously avoid hearing what I try desperately to get through to you. Yeah? <laughs> so this is um, this is uh, the truth is we already do a lot of things with our mind and just putting meditative technique on top of what we put of what we do with our minds seems to be ver not very effective most meditators I know they take quite some time to find out what they actually are already doing yeah and then some of this can be validated and some of this can be unlearned and some of this can be reframed in another meditative language or it can be slowed down so that it becomes more obvious where I, where I have choices or how that I can shift the emphasis slightly over here. Or, or I find out that what she has plenty of, actually, I don't have at all and I need to do. Yeah? While she needs to do less of this, I need to do more of this. Yeah? We begin to gradually acknowledge the the, you know, the, our own territories. Yeah. Obviously, this is slightly hampered by a meditative setup where one guy, um, you know, does much of the talking and says, mm -hmm. you know, let's do this, let's do that. And he speaks in a particular language and particular imagery, obviously betray, be, betraying his background and his uh, his history and his subcultures and his conditioning and the conditioning he tries to get rid of and all this. Um, all this is kind of comes across to you as well and you have to sift which piece in here is for me. When he means that, when he says that, what does he mean, what does this mean in here? How do I think about this? Do I recognize this? This is not easy work, yeah? This seems to take some time and it seems to take some honesty and it seems to take some examination. Slowing down helps us to examine what's already happening. Who do I think I need to be? Who do I, who do I try to move away from? What it is that I think I need to cultivate? What it is I think I need to abandon? what it is I think that is important to me, what it is I think that is not important. All these things play an immense role and it's useful to begin to become a more and more aware of how you think about yourself. And you know, 
it's quite shocking to see the many methods and techniques if you just pile them on top of an unexamined way how you hold a relationship to yourself you know the most valid technique can become a neurotic attempt at not getting in touch what you need to get in touch with most urgently it doesn't even speak against the technique it just speaks against <laughs> you trying to you know you're trying to put your bed on the uh, uh, on the dung heap, you know, and you wonder why is it stinking all the time. It's a very nice bed, you know. We have clean sheets, you know. We're we're out under the open sky, yeah. And yet, I'm basically I'm placing this. Ajahn Chah was really crude. He put it. He said, you know, you have a bag, and in that bag you have dog shit, yeah. And you go, you sit down, put your bag down, you meditate, and it starts stinking, and it's just dog shit, you know. You say, ah, oh, that's a bad place. Take your bag, go to another place, sit down there, put your bag down, and it's dog shit again. Yeah? And you want to stinking again. There's so many dogs here, you know. Just get rid of, get rid of the dogs. Got to a place where there are no dogs. You know, take your bag, go to a place where there are definitely no dogs. It's still, yeah. That's, yeah. And you can pile any technique on top of this, you know, there will be smell of dog shit, basically, with you. Unless you're willing to actually look, hey, and start to empty out your bag and see, I don't need to do this. I don't need to carry my bag. It's quite possible. And then techniques really get going once you realize what you're actually doing. So Chitanupasana gets us into this realm where things are a little uh, confusing, they're not so clean, they're not so fast. Well, a Vedana doesn't last very long. A Chitta can, you know, you can be in a lost little depression for six hours, yeah, or six months until you raise your head and suddenly look at a tree and say, oh, wow, uh, this thing didn't have it easy, and yet still standing, look at it, and kind of come out of your cloud. Yeah, we all live in clouds, clouds of um, feeling in particular ways, clouds of being bereft of energy, clouds of being uh, seething, feel maybe, yeah. clouds of feeling lost. Yeah. This is just a bad world, a horrible joke, a grumpy Monday morning God got it all off the ground and now it's doesn't even care anymore what he produced. And I just have to live his joke. I just have to, I'm part of his bad mood. Yeah. Uncaring God who has wandered off after creating a horrible little botch job. And I'm part of it. Yeah, sometimes it feels that way. And then you sink into this mood, you know, and everything you look at is just, even the beautiful things are purposeless because they perish. They don't make human beings any better. The predominant feature of your fellow human beings is meanness, stupidity, and greed. You know, you point, anybody tries to question that, you just quietly point at the headlines in the newspaper. You, it's easy to figure out the atrocities we, we, have, we have committed onto ourselves. You know, we, it's not a happy planet, well, let's admit it. We're not happy bunnies. There's plenty of evidence to this. And yet, that somehow it doesn't seem to be the whole truth. 
there is other possibilities, there is other moments, and we have other capabilities. Human beings can be quite depressive, they can be really astounding. We have stories, they, these stories tell us about extraordinary people, extraordinary things. People who have grown, done impossible things. That woman who rescued, a woman in a wheelchair who rescued her kid falling into, her two-year-old kid falling into the water in an un, unsupervised um, swimming pool, just went straight ahead with her wheelchair, got hold of her kid. This is not the sort of things you could rationally survive, you know, trying to save within from a wheelchair a kid that falls into the deep end of the pool. And yet, she got hold of it, she got it out. Completely against all reason, all probability, all sanity, she made it. We've all made it in some strange ways. Think of how you've learned how to walk. You know, totally unrealistic thing to do. Everybody else is tall and on two feet and you're on your belly crawling around. And every attempt you do, your little bent be legs just don't hack it. You just fall over backwards and forwards on your bum and on your nose. And you try hard and it doesn't work. Every time you try, it doesn't work. And you could realistically say after 50 times, well, I've tried it. This just doesn't work for me. I don't know how you guys do it. I've given it my best, you know, <laughs> made some empirical tests. I come to the positive con conclusion after much personal experience and on the basis of, you know, illustrated heroic attempts. <laughs> this doesn't work for me. I am not, I'm predestined to stay on all fours. That, that was it. You know. It would be quite reasonable. It would be on the basis of experience. You know. It would be empirical science, you could say. Um, and you stop. Henceforth, for me, there is crawling. Yeah? But it's not how we do. It's not how kids do. You know, Something in us stubbornly continues. Stubbornly wants to be happy. Stubbornly, with the help of curtains, flower, plant, flower pots, and all other uh, TV cables, we go back on our feet yeah? and try a next set of steps. And lo and behold, against all reason, against all experience, we learn to walk. We do things that are technically not possible, like that bumblebee that by the laws of aerodynamics is too heavy uh, and doesn't have enough uh, wingspan <laughs> to hold its own body weight in the air. <laughs> Yet it flies, <laughs> despite the laws of aerodynamics. Yeah. That seems to be uh, part of our experience as well, not just the horrors and the stupidity and the greed. So citta upasana means wading in there. Understanding where body is, establishing your resources, your meditation object, your posture, establishing stability as much as possible of the space that you can inhabit. And then you suddenly begin ask what that space 
feels like. Not what the things in that space tell you as a story, but what the climate of that inner space feels like. Is it alone in there? Is it young in there? Is it big? Is it expansive? Is it soft? Is it contracted? Is it scattered? Is it happy? Is it sad? Is it curious? Is it sulking? We learn to kind of get in touch, not with the stuff in there, but with the climate which envelops the stuff. The easiest way to get in there is the end of an out-breath, you know, when things end on a, on a level of sensation. You just kind of hover there at the end of an experience. How does it feel after she has left the room? Well, you stay behind and how does it feel after she has left the room? What am I staying behind with? We sample. Huh. Is this relief or sadness or... What is it? It takes a little asking. It takes a little patience. Usually we gloss over this moment. Usually we move on to the next thing, the next story, the next event. But Chitta Nupasana asks us to touch the event and then leave the event and see what is the context of the event. What is the surroundings of the event? What is the climate this event takes place in? So my, my three questions are based, it's very simple. The first question is, how is it now? This is the litmus question kind of thing. Yeah? How is it now, right in this heart? The embodied experiential inner space. What is the climate in there? Another question is, if the thought or the image that have arisen, if I follow them, if I engage with them, if I give my attention to them, where will these thoughts, these images take me? And say in, in two minutes, where will they take me? Many of my thoughts and images I know. I've been living with them for a while. They're not so original. Of many of them, I know where they will take me. I know pretty well if I give my energy to this thought, to this type of reflection, to this type of imagery, it will take me to sadness, or to greed, or to despondency, or to rage, to indignation, to boredom. I know where they will take me. Just some kind of a sense of fatigue in something infinite. Just think of your inbox, for example. <laughs> you can do all kinds of things with the inbox. Rifle through with an increasing sense of guilt through the unanswered stuff. Despairing at the possibility of the more effective you get the more of the stuff will come in you know you've probably proven that to yourself that even if you spend the next three weeks diligently answering everything that came in you suddenly you still would have not finished um, or just going less less and less sensitive just kind of as you go past the first two dozen of unanswered things, you just notice something goes blunt in you. you know? Or you go into a Vibhava Tanha mode and you find your finger hovering over the delete button. Yeah? Just zap this from my world, just and the problem is solved. Yeah? Or a kind of you start at the top and you begin an apologetic first paragraph 
for for the abysmal delay and so forth. Yeah, yeah. There's many patterns you can see your, in your mind going on when you do this. Yeah. Pondering the climate of this mind, where it, where I will land if I give my energy to the arising thought. Sometimes it's happy, you know. If you take refuge, what does that do to your mind? If you consider your own goodness, if you ponder. Some of you have been here for almost five weeks. Yeah. This may be gladness, this may be confidence, this may be inspiration. That's good stuff. So don't be fooled by my negative examples. Yeah. That also is a valid investigation. Once we know where this will take me, we can favor the things that take us to wholesome places and we can stop energizing things of which we know that they just take us to pain, frustration, impatience. The third question is, if I look, if, I, if a thought or an image comes up, rather than talk to the thought, to the image, see what is the energy that propels this image. Yeah. What is the soil it grows out of? Is this a, an angry soil? Is this a sad soil? Is this a, um, a greedy soil? Is this a confused soil? Yeah. I sometimes use the image of the sailboat. You have an inner lake and your thoughts are like the white sails floating across your lake. And the temptation is big that you look at the boat, you know, you follow the movement of the boat. But actually what you're interested in really in Chittanupasana is getting an idea, where does the wind blow from that propels these thoughts? Yeah. What corner does it blow from? Four particular corners are, just, are, are not recommended or are, we are particularly warned of, the four akatis. Chandagamini, yeah, the desire, dosagamini, aversion, abhayagamini, fear, and mohagamini, the delusion, perplexity, confusion. Anything that is blown by a wind from one of these four corners is not reliable, is not trustworthy. So if you discern fear, if you discern desire, if you discern aversion, if you discern confusion as being the motors of your thinking, you cannot trust it. You cannot tr- you, you can trust it even less than it is already uh, um, of questionable value. But those four energies are what makes our thinking particularly unreliable. So play with these questions. Play with the climate of mind. At the end of things, it's easiest to get there, to get a feel. It is as if we have to widen our gaze the object in there, and then the widening of the gaze gives us a feeling for the climate. And then you bring your stillness to it, you bring your powers of inquiry to it, you bring your, stu- your capacity to stay with something to it. And maybe this something reveals itself, changes, becomes more transparent. If you feel you're getting lost, just go back to the breath, go back to your anapanasati, go back to your posture, your body sensations, and sweeten the mind, allow it to find confidence with something it isn't by now familiar with, and that it finds soothing. So we shuttle between investigation 
instilling, investigation instilling. This would be my suggestion for practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.